I cringe when I get calls from clients on October 1 saying, we need to come up with a Giving Tuesday plan. So your timing is so perfect um, with this. It's really fundraising marketing in its basics is not different than any other marketing campaign or approach. It's about building brand loyalty and building engagement. And you've got to lay that groundwork now so that when you make the ask on Giving Tuesday, people feel comfortable with you. They know who you are and they're willing to make a gift. Welcome to another episode of the Sea Life Different Podcast. My name is Zakira and I am your host. This podcast features women of purpose, creative women of purpose, who share stories of resilience. They all have one thing in common, the need to create and the need to save. The mission of this podcast is to inspire you, empower you, and to educate you. So today, we have the honor of speaking to Emily Heck. She specializes in helping nonprofits and small business owners grow through deep-rooted marketing campaigns. So that means content management, audience engagement, and she never really thought she'd been an entrepreneur, but after a toxic experience in the workplace, which I can attest to that, I've dibbled and dabbled in a nine-to-five, I've dibbled and dabbled with working with other startups, so it's it's all a matter of taking that leap of faith, and you create your own seat, you build your own table. So she created Evergreen Strategic in 2019. So it's literally a strategic marketing firm. So we're going to talk about how she got started in business and three keys to a successful fundraising marketing campaign. I'm going to bring Emily. Let's give her a virtual round of applause. Hi, Emily. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. So <laughs> let's go from maybe the beginning, because I love the fact that you are a Midwest, Midwestern girl, right? And, and of kind of popping up in the news a bit more because more people are starting to look at the Midwest. They're leaving Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. They're leaving the Big Apple. They're leaving um, Party City in Miami and they're considering the Midwest. So tell me what it was like for you just growing up in the Midwest. Sure. So I grew up about an hour south of Indianapolis um, in a small town called Columbus, Indiana, um, which is a really unique town in that it's very much a farm town, but it also has um, is the home of Cummins Incorporated. Um, and so there's a lot of culture there and we're known as an architectural hub of the Midwest. Um, so it was kind of a unique experience growing up in a place that had, you know, the country, the farm. I mean, I was involved in 4-H as a kid, um, but then, you know, driving around town, you see these world-class art pieces from these amazing artists and architects. It was an interesting experience growing up in a, in a world like that. And so tell me how the name Evergreen came from. I know there's the term of Evergreen marketing, which really basically means not depending on social media, but <laughs> um, where does the green really come from? Is there any kind of correlation between the fact that growing up around nature or things of that sort? Yeah, so it definitely has a tie to my love of nature and love of being outdoors. But really, I, you mentioned at the beginning that I started my business in a time um, of that I was coming out of or transitioning out of a toxic workplace. I am one that loves symbols. And so when you think of the evergreen, it doesn't lose its color. Um, it doesn't lose its needles. It doesn't, lo- it doesn't die in the wintertime. It, you know, continues on. And for me, that was so symbolic of starting my business because 
I didn't let this toxic time in my career, my professional life stop me or even really push me backwards. It, you know, I kept going and I kept standing tall and, you know, I didn't lose my, my color or my needle, you know, that kind of thing. So um, it was very purposeful of um, why it is, why I chose that. Um, and it's probably one of the most unique questions I get a lot from clients of what does the evergreen mean? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And it, it is, I love that it's a fun ploy on both the marketing terminology and your love <laughs> of green. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so tell me how you got started in nonprofit world. Yeah. So nonprofit was the first place I landed when I graduated college. And I worked for the local Boy Scout Council in Indianapolis um, as their marketing coordinator. Nope, not the Girl Scouts, the Boy Scouts. So they had a position open and that's where I landed. Nonprofit has always been something close to my heart. I volunteered a lot as a teenager, as a kid and through college. And um, I just love how nonprofits run. They're very unique in how they run um, and operate. And then obviously they're mission-driven organizations. I mean, who doesn't love organizations that are trying to put more good into the world? And when I sat down, when I started Evergreen and I'm like, okay, who do I really want to serve? Nonprofits was an easy place to kind of target for me because it's so natural for me to be interacting in nonprofits and spending my time talking with them and helping them um, so it's really something that breathes a lot of energy into me. My first couple of marketing clients were either music artists or nonprofit. I think there's a nonprofit that um, I got to volunteer with. And then, I, mm-hmm. you know, when I when I got the other side of the experience, if I'm just a volunteer, but then I'm like, this, I can just tell something missing with their evergreen funnel. So I'm like, let me, let me pitch, you know, to work with them. So it was an honor to, you know, work with them for five years because I, it truly, I mean, just like um startup, really, it's the people that make the nonprofit uh, keep Absolutely. going. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, some of my closest friends are from when my first nonprofit and to your point, you know, you're with your client for five years, I think you said, I mean, you probably learned so much during that time because it requires be working with a non nonprofit requires you to kind of hit the ground running because, you know, in a corporation, they may have a social media department and a writing department and a, you know, a PR department, but in a nonprofit, you're doing it all. And so you're really learning. And that's, I think that's part of the fun of it. I love that. Now, speaking of, uh, you didn't mention that nonprofits may or may not have a fundraising department. So talk mm-hmm. about how just really your experience of working with a nonprofit really just uh, kind of catapulted or really if, if that was the uh, frustration and the turning point for you to really say, okay, this is exactly what I want to focus on. So talk about how you really knew that fundraising marketing is what you really wanted to get into. That's kind of a story that I feel like I just fell into. I mean, in a lot of nonprofits, um, the executive director is doing the fundraising or they may have one development director, um, someone focused on fundraising. So, you know, when you're working for a smaller nonprofit or volunteering for a smaller nonprofit, it's kind of a hands-on, all hands on deck situation. That's kind of how I fell into it. It was an all hands on deck. And uh, interestingly, our the the nonprofit I worked for full time at the time was entering into this fundraising competition here in Indianapolis. It's called Brackets for Good, 
And it's a um, March Madness basketball style fundraising tournament. And so you compete against other nonprofits to raise the most money. Um, and then you move from week to week if you win to then getting a large cash prize that you can you know, put back to your nonprofit. So that was really my first taste of fundraising marketing because it wasn't, a, we couldn't use a traditional pr approach. You needed a lot of donors with maybe smaller gifts rather than, you know, one donor giving a huge lump sum. And so that's where I got my first taste of fundraising marketing. And I think we raised 27,000 during our run. Uh, we got booted uh, by the Humane Society in town and they actually went on and won the tournament, but it kind of, um, really piqued my interest on what is possible with fundraising marketing. Absolutely. And it sounds like it was a lot of fun as well, like something yeah. that you enjoy doing it too. So that's important because yeah. I'm a creative at heart. So anytime you say money, I'm like, okay, got it. Don't go over $47,000. Okay, got right. it. <laughs> right. right. Perfect. Give an example of how nonprofits can prepare even now for Giving Tuesday, very national campaigns mm -hmm. like Giving Tuesday? Mm -hmm. I love this question because even though it's January, you really need to start thinking about Giving Tuesday here at the end of November. I cringe when I get calls from clients on October 1 saying, we need to come up with a Giving Tuesday plan. So your timing is so perfect um, with this. It's really fundraising marketing in its basics is not different than any other marketing campaign or approach. It's about building brand loyalty and building engagement. And you've got to lay that groundwork now so that when you make the ask on Giving Tuesday, people feel comfortable with you. They know who you are and they're willing to make a gift. There's so many ways you can do that. I mean, we're doing it in B2B or B2C marketing. We're telling stories, brand stories for a nonprofit. That means talking about the people that you serve or the animals that you serve or whatever your mission is, you're really talking about that. And then on the other side of it, what are those good donor stories? Why was someone moved to give to your organization in the past? Are there donors that you can prop up at this time, tell their story, share why they have an affinity to the organization. And by doing that over the next 9, 10, 11 months, you're really going to start to lay the groundwork so that people aren't surprised on Giving Tuesday in November that you're making an ask and asking them to make a gift to the organization. Yeah, that's super important because, uh, I mean, not even just Giving Tuesday, just to generic um, November, December, uh, all, all of those, Cyber Monday too, mm -hmm. as well. Just, you know, you got to have a plan and you got to plan it in way in advance. And right, so, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, what are three tips aside from planning ahead and mm -hmm. knowing your audience? Maybe to give three more tips to keep in mind if no one got anything else from the conversation that they want to keep in mind uh, when fundraising for their nonprofit. Probably the first conversation I have when I'm talking with a with a client is, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to go into fundraising marketing? I mean, right now, a lot of organizations are prepping for their giving days. Um, it's very common for organizations to have their own giving days in this like winter, spring time. And then they have Giving Tuesday in November. And one thing I say is from a fundraising marketing or even a digital fundraising standpoint is 
are you all in? Because if you're not, it's, it's going to, donors are going to notice that. And we can't have this start and stop approach to our content, to our storytelling. You really need to have a unified approach that it happens all year. And so that's a conversation that I have a lot of, you know, do you have the resources? Um, are you prepared to use those resources? And really thinking through what the time commitment is. I mean, I've had clients that want to do a giving day and then three weeks later, they want to have their biggest fundraising event of the year. You're really being pulled in different directions. And so I think it takes a lot of time um, to sit down and have some soul searching of, can you put the time and energy into this? And, And I think where that comes from is really just 10 years ago, Digital fundraising was an afterthought for a lot of fundraisers. It was still bubbling up. Giving Tuesday was happening, but not everyone was involved. And it was kind of one of those of, you know, oh, the week of Thanksgiving. Yeah, we can put something on of, you know, make a gift to us on Giving Tuesday. And I think some people are still in that mindset. Yeah, we'll just throw something together, you know, at the last minute on Giving Tuesday. And it's not working anymore because other organizations are really just blowing right past them on creative content, unique content that they're using for their fundraising. And so it's a hard conversation to have with nonprofit professionals because they are being pulled in a million directions. And how do you add one more thing on the list that for a lot of these organizations are untested of can they really raise money in a digital in a digital space? Some days kids can be all or other times they can get a little Of course, going from two can happen in a that's childhood. And if anyone understands where kids are coming from, it's Kiwanis. Kids need guidance and the support of their community. And that's why kids need Kiwanis. Our 600,000 members worldwide support the development, education, and imagination of kids wherever they are, every day. Because nothing sounds better than a child with a future. Are the kids in your community getting what they need? Get inspired and get involved. See how kids around the world are heard at Kiwanis.org. That's number one conversation that I have. The next thing that I talk a lot about is the marketing tools in your toolbox are no different whether you're fundraising or doing something else, trying to promote something else. So we're still going to use the same tools. You know, you're still going to use your social media. You still need to be telling good, unique stories about your organization you can still be using social ads. I love using social ads for fundraising. You know, I kind of live in the school of thought of you got to spend a lot, little bit of money to to make some money. And it, it's this weird thing when you start talking about fundraising marketing that people think like, oh, well, we can only send on an email. And it's, you know, we have a whole toolbox that we can use and we just need to get creative around it because yes, it is a little bit different when you're asking for money than maybe you're asking for someone to sign up for an event or something like that. That's that's the other thing that I talk about. And the other thing that I like to to share with, with people when I'm in these types of conversations is you really need to look at marketing as your air coverage. Um, I had a colleague 
say that uh, one time uh, many years ago is marketing is the air coverage to fundraise. She, um, you have your fundraisers, your relationship builders within your organization, and they're the ones actually going out and talking with donors one-on-one and building those relationships. And whether it be, you know, a, a multi-million dollar donor or maybe a lower scale donor, you have those people that are actually going out and doing that. And so when you have a giving day or a, a major, you know, capital campaign or comprehensive campaign, the marketing tools that I just spoke about, that's really the air coverage for the conversations that um, those fundraisers are having. So, you know, I've had a conversation with a development director about an organization, and then I walk out of the meeting and I open up Facebook and there's a really good story about that organization. So the two need to work together to approach this. And it, it sounds, I, I know I'm saying it as like, oh, it's no big deal. This is just really easy. Just do this. But I think it takes a lot of soul searching and thinking through and really deciding if you can do it. And I know that all these organizations can, they can do it. I've worked with a lot of organizations that, you know, sometimes it's like, I don't know if we're going to make this happen. And then it happens. And so probably if I had a bonus key to suggest is do your soul searching, um, really decide that this is something that you can do as an individual, as a professional um, in your position, and then also as an organization, and then also just jump in feet first um, and try it because why not? I'm glad you did talk about just some of the resources, and I think I agree from my experience working with nonprofits. If they're new to the nonprofit world, like they're just doing it because they're passionate about it, mm-hmm. they're afraid of ads. <laughs> they're afraid <laughs> yeah. to spend money, and I'm like, okay, but that's really how it works. I mean, how did you get your house, your car? You have to spend money mm-hmm. um, in order to be able to use it. For those who are probably listening, thinking, but like, I literally don't think I have the resources right now. Like, what else can I do? So, what are a couple of your favorite? Uh, organic or in somewhat free marketing tools mm-hmm. that you would encourage nonprofits to start off with mm-hmm. using? Yeah. So your email list, number one, I mean, it, it, we use this in, you know, whether I'm talking to a small business or a, you know, a larger corporation email, your email list is still your direct, your direct channel to your audiences. Now I know there's some conversation in the marketing industry of like, does email even really work anymore because people's inboxes are so overcrowded. But I think that goes back to brand loyalty and engagement and creating good content so that when your organization's email shows up in my inbox, I don't hesitate to open it. So laying that groundwork and then getting the word out through your email list and doing it thoughtfully. So that's always number one. Social media is always great. I love social media from an organic standpoint because you can really tell your story. And it's funny of how many features are now available just on you know one platform on just on Facebook or just on Instagram you can use. You know, when I started this, 10 plus years ago, it was just posts and a picture or maybe a video. It's so different now. So yeah. reels. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Like you can use reels now. And I mean, it's changing all the time. And yeah, Facebook and social media are, are the big ones that I use from, from a digital fundraising, but I also don't, I don't shove aside, you know, more traditional, maybe there's a place to do a direct mail or a postcard or something. I know higher education institutions get really unique with their giving days of sending stuff to their donors. One uh, that I heard about a couple of years ago, they sent one sock to their donor list, each person on their donor list. Um, and it was a sock for the college. 
And when you made a gift, you got that second second sock. So then you had your pair. Uh, but what a unique way to use, you know, traditional marketing channels. Because if I'm getting a single sock in the mail, I mean, you better believe that I'm going to take a look and see what that's all about. Yeah. Um, the nonprofit that I work with before I kind of also became like their social media chair or social media head uh, was using direct marketing. They had postcards that they send every year. And the only thing with that, it would say what year it was. So if it were 2015, mm-hmm. it would say, you know, volunteer with us in 2015. And so the only thing I've, I've tried to, you know, encourage them would, you know, make it evergreen, make it, mm-hmm. uh, again, I was like, remove the year so that people can, you know, volunteer with you any year. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, if it works for you and depending on, you know, where you live and depending on your love or hate of social media, direct marketing or digital marketing is, uh, both of them can be go-tos. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you do, it all comes back to no matter what type of marketing you're doing, it's knowing your audiences. And that's the foundation for any campaign. Um, you may have an audience that loves direct mail and that's how you need to engage with them. So yeah, go with direct mail. <laughs> now we're talking so much about marketing and I'm sure the listeners are like, how does she know so much? I know she's been doing it for 10 years and stuff, but how does she know so much? So talk about your experience with a full circle experience with Butler University. Yeah, so um, I worked after I left the Boy Scouts um, and spent my time there. The Boy Scouts, um, not I, the Girl Scouts. Yep. Yes, the Boy Scouts. <laughs> so after I left the Scouts, um, I decided my time there was done and was looking for a new challenge. I went to Butler University here in Indianapolis. Um, I am a graduate of Butler, so I was very happy to um, accept a position there. And my role there was to, um, I was in the marketing department, but my client was the advancement, the university advancement, the fundraising arm of the university. Um, And they were getting ready to launch a comprehensive campaign, um, a $250 million comprehensive campaign that um, launched in 2019. So my role was to really assist the university advancement team on embedding marketing strategies and tactics so that we could get the donors prepared for that campaign and when, when we would be making those major asks for the campaign. So I was there for about two years and kind of worked in the kind of the beginning stages and then left in fall of 19 right after the campaign kicked off. And I check in on it every once in a while and it looks like it's doing pretty good. And sometimes I like to give myself a pat on the back of like maybe all of my pre-planning like helped add to that. But yeah, it was, higher education is a really unique industry marketing wise. It was a very good learning experience while I was there. Yeah, and you should definitely give you a pat on the back again, because us women don't do that <laughs> enough. We don't give us a pat on the back. So, yay, yay for you. Thank you. <laughs> now, we're coming to the end of the conversation, and there's a few fun questions that I love to ask my audience. Are you ready? Of course. Let's go. Let's do it. Okay, so where do you want to travel to next? Does it have to be in the U.S.? Nope. or? Well, it's very cold in Indiana right now. So I've been dreaming about somewhere warm. I've been thinking a lot about Turks and Caicos for some reason. It just keeps coming to my mind. Out of the U.S., probably Turks and Caicos. I love the culture of island life and how unique it is. I mean, growing up in the Midwest, island life is very far from (laughs) Indiana. So it's very unique. But then in the U.S., my husband and I love New Orleans. Uh, We love that town. 
we um, visited there a few years ago and I think it is continues to be the number one spot, our go back to list. So I think we're going to be making a trip to New Orleans here again very soon. I love it. Yeah, it's full of culture. Always lively. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> love it. Now, the next question is, what do you want your legacy to be? Wow, that's a that's a heavy question. You know, when I think about my legacy, I don't think so much from a professional or a business standpoint, like I want to create this huge agency or I want to have my name everywhere or something. You know, from my experience being in a toxic workplace, what happened as I transitioned out, I really want my legacy to be, I treated people well and I treated people fair. And, you know, when I walk out of a room, I want people to think, you know, she treated me well or she treated me fair. And that's something that I think about a lot is I don't want my legacy to be negative when it comes to how I treat people. Um, and I always want to be kind and friendly. And, you know, sometimes that's hard when you're in, you know, a, a stressful situation. I mean, think about, you know, life now in a pandemic or whatever. It, it's hard sometimes to always put a smile on your face. But that is something that I think about a lot when I'm interacting with people. And then once I leave them. Perfect. I love that. And kind of definitely goes a long way. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Okay. So for those who want to either learn more about you or they want to partner with you with growing their nonprofit, where can they find you on the web? My website is evergreenstrategic.org. Um, that's where you can find me on my website. Um, I'm a big LinkedIn person. So uh, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I love chatting with people on there. Um, and I would love to chat with you, whether it's about marketing or you need support in your um, in your organization. Um, or just want to chit chat about New Orleans. I'm all for it. <laughs> I love it. Then your, I'm going to put it uh, in the show notes. And if you're watching on social media, it's also at the bottom as well to connect with Emily online. And if no one got anything else from this conversation, what is one thing that you want to share? I think going back to my bonus key point is just try it. Just try fundraising marketing. You're going to learn a little bit each time and everyone had to start somewhere. So, you know, really do that soul searching, but then jump feet first in and just go for it. Perfect. Well, thank you, Emily, <laughs> for being a guest on the Sea Life Different Podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I had such a great time. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and download so you don't miss the next episode. If you want to learn more, you can visit ZakiraNayar.com. That's Z-A-A-K-I-R-A-H-N-A-Y-Y-A-R dot com.